All right, well, let's turn in our Bibles this morning to Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40. My original plan had been to start our study of the book of Revelation today, but uh, we uh, are not quite yet to having the ability to, to tape that, and so I was asked that uh, I delay our start of that book by one week. And so, anyway, that is the plan to start that next week, and so we look forward to a study of that book. I've been spending over the last several weeks a tremendous amount of reading and study in the book, and uh, it's uh, I'm learning a lot of stuff, and I'm anxious to share some of those things with you. And so we'll look forward to that in the for the coming months. Isaiah chapter 40 is where we're at today. You know, when we think about endurance, or when we think about enduring something, we probably think of uh, something like a soldier. We think of a soldier being away from home and being uh, in, in, a, in, a, in a, perhaps a war zone. We think of them being uh, in many ways isolated from the world that they have known before they went uh, to become a part of the army or whatever branch of service one is serving in. Think about the endurance of boot camp and, and all of the rigors of doing what you're told when you're told. You think of that. You perhaps think of an athlete. You think of one who has conditioned their body uh, in order to conform it and to shape it and cause it to perform in a certain type of way in order to excel. You know, the modern Olympics, the Olympics that we know and the Olympics that we watch on television, uh, began in 1896, the modern Olympic Games. And now for over 100 years, in fact almost 120 years, they have showcased the abilities of hard-working individuals. At the 18th Olympic Games that were held in Tokyo, Japan in 1964, these words were spelled out in lights. The most important thing in the Olympic Games is not to win, but to take part. To take part in the Olympics is indeed a tremendous honor. To be able to compete on that kind of a level is something most people will never know. In fact, most people won't even know someone in their lifetime that competed in the Olympic Games and performed on that kind of level. But whether it is the Olympics or whether it's life itself, the important thing for us to understand is it's not always so much about winning and how we ultimately finish, but it's about the struggle that we go through. The struggle that we endure is what it's really about. Think about those athletes. The reason that they're able to win medals, the reason that they're able to compete at all, the reason that they're able to set world records in some cases is because of what has gone on on those Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday mornings, early mornings, and Thursday and Friday and Saturday. They work and they work and they work. In fact, they have become champions quietly, behind the scenes, out of the sight of others. But basically the Olympics are the showcase of what they have already achieved. The preparation then to compete is what changed the person. It's what built the person. 
It's what led to their mental and physical toughness. It's what led to their, their stamina, the, the muscle mass that they built, their resolve. The, the competition is just merely a showcase of what they've already accomplished. You know what? God is always at work in the lives of His people. God is always at work in the lives of His people. And what He is doing is He is building in us something great. And the things that we go through are times of seasoning. They're times of preparation. We might see them as mundane or unimportant. We might look around and say, why am I going through this? This makes no sense. Or what is the purpose in this? Or maybe we would declare this has no purpose. But God has a purpose and He has a great purpose in mind. God is constantly building and developing in us something. God never sleeps. God never slumbers. He's always hard at work in our lives. In the days of the writing of the book of Isaiah, the nation of Israel was tired. They were fatigued. They were emotionally drained. They felt like at times that God had forsaken them, that God had just completely forgotten about them as they had been taken into captivity in Babylon. And they were in exile by their hated enemies, the Babylonians. And for God's chosen people, and they knew they were God's chosen people, to be being controlled by their archenemy was draining in a way that we can't even hardly understand. Further, it seemed, though, that God had just forgotten about them. And they were just merely existing. Do you ever feel like that, that you're just existing sometimes? That you're not really accomplishing anything? Maybe at work or maybe at home or something. You just go through the motions of your day or your week and you don't feel like you're really getting anywhere. That is how they felt. They felt like God had forgotten about them and they were just going through the emotions or going through the motions and they were just existing. There was no real joy that they were experiencing. They weren't uh, finding it easy even maybe to get up in the morning and to go through their day. Yet God, as He so often does, offers to them great encouragement right in the midst of their suffering, right in the midst of all of their questions and discouragement. But there's one thing that God expected them to do, and it's the same thing that He expects us to do. And it's not an easy thing for anyone to do. He expected the nation of Israel to wait upon the Lord. He expected them to wait. It's almost as, as though there were there's some build, big build-up here. And they're thinking, oh my goodness, what is it that God is going to ask? What big and grand and glorious thing is God going to ask us to do? And we may be asking that this morning. What big thing, what big plans does God have? What big thing does He want me to do? And God is saying to each one of us here this morning, I want you to wait. Sounds kind of anticlimactic. Sounds like a big letdown in a lot of ways. But God is saying to each and every one of us this morning, I want you to wait. 
not just, we're not talking about just idle time here. We're talking about waiting in a way that God intended for us to wait. And within that wait, we're to trust Him and we're to grow towards Him. I invite you with your Bibles open to Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 31 this morning to stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word. God, speaking to His people here, says, But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Let us pray. Father, we thank you so much that you allow us to wait on you. Father, we don't understand all that is accomplished through the process of the wait. But Father, we know that great things are being done. Father, as we've learned from past experience, we know that in the times in our life that often don't make a lot of sense when we're going through them, often we're able to see with clarity later on the mighty things that you've done, the wonderful things that you've accomplished. And Father, for that we can say thanks. Be with us now and guide us through this text of Scripture this morning. Father, open your truth to our eyes. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As you're seated. Notice with me, first of all, in this passage of Scripture, the confident wait upon the Lord. We can have confidence as we wait upon the Lord. And we see that in the first part of verse 31. Now, the concept of waiting itself involves confident expectation and an active rather than a passive hope in the Lord. It's not passive. It's not resigned. It's not like giving up. Say, well, all I can do now is wait, so I guess I'll just have to wait. It's not so much that. But it's a positive thing. It's an upbeat thing. It's an energetic thing. It's an excited kind of thing. Did you know that waiting is a, is a process that people handle in a lot of different ways. Think about this. Think about going to a doctor's office and sitting in the waiting room. What do you see there? I think we've all been there probably several times and we kind of can relate to this. There are a handful of different activities going on typically in a doctor's office waiting room. Magazines are provided for you to look at, read, look at, look through, whatever. People usually bring or often bring books with them. That's what I do if I have to wait. I have a book with me and I'll typically work on that book. These days with cell phones and smartphones and everything, people are texting perhaps. They may even be talking on the phone. They may be checking their email on, over their phone. Or they might be playing a game. There are still yet others that are frustrated with waiting. And they're perhaps getting up and they're asking how much longer to the receptionist. 
I've seen people knitting and crocheting in a doctor's office. I've seen people staring at the wall or staring out into space or staring out the window. But basically, the waiting falls into just a couple of categories. One is that people are doing things to amuse themselves in order to help pass the time. They're amusing themselves to pass the time. Some people are trying to use it productively. And rather than to just merely amuse themselves or to waste the time, they're instead seeking to use it productively by reading or even perhaps checking email or, or the person who's crocheting or whatever, using that time productively. Then, the one, then some are just kind of rebellious about having to wait at all, and they're the ones maybe that are just staring out into space. Why the difference? I've concluded that some people could use the time and some people will waste the time. But you know what? It's not limited to just a doctor's office visit, is it? As we go through our days, as we go through our weeks, as we go through our years, some people spend their lives seeking to amuse themselves. While others are seeking, how can I use the time I have productively? The Bible says, teach us to number our days. Teach us to number our days. We forget about how short life is until we go to a funeral. And then when we see a casket sitting there before us, of a loved one or a friend or an acquaintance, we're reminded for just a moment or maybe for a day that life is short and this whole thing is going to end at some point. But we're to wait upon the Lord. When we consider being confident and we consider being patient while we wait for God to work in certain ways in our lives, we have to admit that sometimes it's a struggle. It's often not an easy thing to do. Sometimes we start with confidence. Sometimes we start with zeal. Sometimes we're, 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 we're up for the challenge, but other times not so much. It's so often true that as we wait, maybe anticipation grows, and it should, right? That, that's the whole point of waiting. The anticipation grows, and God does something in us, in our hearts, and in our minds through the struggle. Think about this. When you're cooking something in the oven that takes maybe a half a day or a few hours or whatever, or something on the stove and the aroma of whatever you're cooking fills the house. And it causes you to get even hungrier in anticipation of that meal that you're going to enjoy. You can smell it. You can envision what it's going to taste like. What do you do? You smell that, perhaps for hours, cooking. And finally you get to the point and say, I'm so hungry, I can't wait any longer. And you go in there and say, well, it's not quite ready yet, but I've got to eat something and so I'll have some chips or I'll have a sandwich or I'll have some candy. And what you've done is you've spoiled your appetite and you've spoiled the enjoyment that you would have had 
if you had just waited perhaps a few more minutes or a half an hour or something. Sometimes, sometimes we spoil our appetites for God with other things. Sometimes we don't have the energy to serve God anymore because instead of waiting on Him and waiting on Him, we have filled our time, we've filled our days with other things because we couldn't stand waiting anymore for God. How many of you at some point in your life have snuck around and found your Christmas present or you found your birthday present? I think nearly every kid has to go through that at some point. I did that one time and I learned my lesson. I didn't ever do it again because you know what I'd done is I had spoiled my gift. Well, I was still getting the same thing, but instead of having that anticipation at Christmas that you perhaps should have, I knew exactly what I was getting. There was no thrill. There was no excitement anymore. So often we spoil things if we're not careful. I knew in an instant when I found that gift. I'd snuck around, got my dad's keys and looked in the trunk of his car and found my Christmas present. And I mean instantly, just like that. Even though it's what I wanted, it's what I'd been asking for, when I saw it, my heart sunk because I'd spoiled it. I'd spoiled it. I'd spoiled the surprise. God has great things in store for us. And our job is... Don't spoil it. We can't make... When you're a kid, you'd like to make Christmas come sooner. You'd like your birthday to roll around sooner. You know, as we get to be adults, we wish we could push the birthdays back. But when we're kids, we, we wish that they would come sooner so we could have a party and cake and have our friends over and, and get our birthday present. But God is saying to all of us, Wait. Wait. He's got great things in store for us, but we just need to hold off. I admit that waiting cannot, is not the easiest thing, but there's a lot of wisdom in waiting. Now, God accomplishes great things in our lives through the process of the wait. Often, He is accomplishing things through a slow process in our lives that we desperately need to be accomplished. Think about this. A clover blossom contains less than one-eighth of a grain of sugar. Yet 7,000 of these grains are required to make a pound of honey. A bee, therefore, must visit 56,000 clover heads to get enough sugar for a single pound of honey. But there are about 60 flower tubes in each clover head, so the bee has to perform this operation 3.36 million times in order to get enough sweetness for a single pound of honey. This is patient endurance. And this is the kind of endurance that God desires for us to have. You know, we live in a world where we don't like anything that's not instant anymore. We want meals quick. We want them ready-made. We want to be able to step right in and start using something. We don't like... We're in a generation that doesn't like to, to wait and wait and wait for something. I'm amazed that you, know, you used to be able, you could order a kit to build a house with out of the Sears catalog. 
You realize that? How many people would buy a house that way these days? You could also, you could order, uh, you know, old Ford tractors used to come. and you'd, you'd order the parts and the parts would be shipped to you and you assembled them yourself. Who's going to do that? No, people, if they're going to buy a tractor, they want to go down to a dealership and they, they want to buy it in the morning and be using it in the afternoon. That's the kind of world that we live in. We're not accustomed to waiting anymore. Life moves at a faster pace than it ever has before. God has said to, re- to renew. He said to refresh the strength and the stamina of those that wait upon Him. When we're tired of waiting and we're tired of enduring, we're told what to do. Wait some more. In Hebrews chapter 11, the great faith chapter of the Bible, there are many examples of those who patiently waited for God to do great things in their lives, the things that He had promised that He would do, things that He would ultimately do. But He gave them specific instructions in each and every case. Then after that great recounting of the men and women of faith in Hebrews chapter 11, As chapter 12 begins, the writer of Hebrews says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, laying aside every weight and the sin which so easily entangles or ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. The significance of Christ setting down there is is that his work has been complete. The Lord has accomplished it all. The Lord has done what he set out to do. He's just waiting for that confirmation from the Father to say, now is time when he comes for his church. But His work is complete. He died on the cross. He shed His precious blood. And we as His people, if we received Him as our Lord and Savior, if salvation is ours, we wait on the Lord. The Lord has accomplished it all. We could spin our wheels and we could try to do things, but we're not going to change this world ultimately. We wait on our Lord who has power over all things. God did not forget about the great heroes of faith that are listed in Hebrews chapter 11. Although every one of them struggled at times thinking that he had forgotten. There are times, there are days that maybe you don't feel saved. Maybe you say, well, you know, I know I did what I was supposed to do in order to come to Christ, but I just don't feel like I'm saved. Something's missing. I feel empty inside. Things aren't right. Well, so did Moses. So did Rahab. So did Noah. So did all the great heroes of the faith. There were long periods in each one of their lives where it seemed like God wasn't speaking. God had said something maybe 20 years ago that they were to do and they'd been working on that. Think Think about Noah building the ark. Think about the patience that he had to have to hammer and to saw like he did and to work and build and do all that he did. And it wasn't like he was building it on the seashore either. He's landlocked completely, building a great big boat 
And yet the Lord has told him to do it. What is the last thing God told you to do? We need to do that and we need to find satisfaction in doing that. We need to endure. We need to wait on the Lord. But in the process of that, God has promised that He would renew our strength day by day as we do exactly what He's told us that we need to be doing. We can't forget about that. God had not forgotten about the heroes of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. And God has not forgotten about you or me either. Commentator H.A. Ironside wrote, As we wait on Him, we are changed to His likeness. As we wait for Him in patience, we are delivered from worry and fretfulness, knowing that God is never late, but that in His own time, He will give the help that we need. Notice finally with me in this passage here, the strength produced through patience. We see that in the latter part of verse 31. The strength produced through patience. Now during the time that Isaiah wrote, Israel, as I said, was in exile or they were in captivity and they were very faint and they were very weary. It was almost like being in prison. The days just kind of seemed to drag on. There's not a lot that you can do if you're incarcerated. They provide activities for people to do, but still, they don't have their freedom. And if your freedom is gone, you've lost a lot. You've lost a lot. And that's the way the people felt. They were in captivity. They couldn't come and go as they pleased. They couldn't do what they wanted. They just were merely existing. And they knew that they were there because they had not listened to God through His prophets who had warned again and again and again what the people were supposed to be doing. God had always promised through His prophets that if you'll repent, if you'll turn from your wicked ways, if you'll turn to Me and follow Me, then I won't judge you. Then I won't uh, send destruction to you. But they would not heed the warning of God and therefore they were suffering the consequences and they were well aware of it. At this point in the nation's history, Israel felt completely helpless. They felt powerless and they felt tired. At times in the nation's history, God did not give them immediate help simply because of their attitude of self-sufficiency. You remember they spent a long time in the land of Egypt crying out to God. In fact, they had in essence given up. But yet God raised up Moses to be this deliverer, the one to lead them out of the land of Egypt. But a lot of people had simply given up. They they had hurt at first, but they had finally come to that point of acceptance. God let them struggle for a while. It had been a long time in coming for them to get to where they were. He had warned them and warned them and warned them. You know, so often, so often we see... Uh, people not heeding the warnings that they're given. I was counseling somebody some time back. In fact, it's been a few years ago uh, at this point. With this person, I would talked to them extensively over many months. In fact, I think it even went on for a couple of years. Sharing with me in regards to their marriage and how it was. And the other partner in the marriage just simply would not get it. And finally, the marriage ended up in ending, but the person who would not listen to all the many warnings and all of the signs, immediately their response was, Oh, I promise, I promise now I'll change. I promise I'll change. 
And that's the way things are so often. It is that we just kind of brush off the warnings that come to us. We don't heed the warnings of God or anybody else. But yet when we get caught, but yet when there seem to be consequences for our actions, then all of a sudden we're ready to turn over a new leaf. But oftentimes it's too late at that point. At that point, we can't go back and change things. And so here the nation was. God had warned them and warned them and warned them and warned them. And they basically just blew God off. No worries, God. They weren't concerned about heeding His warnings or following His ways. Finally, God allowed this to happen. And then they were crying out to Him. But God chose to let them struggle and suffer for a while. Often through that struggle, we come around to God's way of thinking. This test of being in exile in Babylon was a big one. Even for the young and for the strong, it wasn't an easy one. In fact, look with me in verse 30, the verse right before our text. It's written there, Even the youths shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. Those who represented strength, those who were the epitome of strength, even they will grow faint and weary, and they will even fall. Yet in all of this, they were told they could simply just wait. You know, when you get on an airplane and you're traveling somewhere, there's not a lot you can do except for just trust the pilot. I suppose if you didn't trust the pilot, you'd just choose to not travel by air. But if you get on there, basically your only option is to trust the pilot. You know, even if somehow you, you were called upon to fly the plane, you wouldn't know how to do it unless you'd been trained as a pilot. You're looking at all these instruments and gauges and everything, and you don't know what any of them mean. I certainly wouldn't. If you look around and you don't know what to do, you just have to go back to your seat, wouldn't you, and say, I'm going to have to trust somebody else because I certainly don't understand this. I don't know what to do here. We've got to trust God that He knows how to fly the plane of our life. And we've got to trust God that He knows how to get us to the destination that He's taking us to. It's not so easy, especially for self-reliant people like what we are. It goes against the grain of our character to shift all of that trust over to someone else, whether it be God or anyone else. It's a hard thing for us to do. Our nation was built largely on rugged individualism. And the very idea that somehow we would be dependent upon someone else seems hard for us. God, God's answer for the feelings of His people, those feelings of despair, was to give them a general glimpse into the future. He didn't get real specific at this point, 
But generally speaking, he says to them, your strength is going to be renewed. You're going to mount up like a mighty eagle to the point that you'll be able to run and not even get tired. Walk and not grow faint. He tells them that they will ultimately soar like an eagle who is the epitome of strength as it, as it soars throughout the sky. In Scripture, the eagle is used to picture strength and even deliverance. In Exodus chapter 19 and verse 4, God reminds His people, He said, I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to Myself. The key then to victory is endurance. The key to victory is endurance. You know, in contemporary military terms, endurance is the key, unfortunately, to defeating the terrorists that seek to destroy us and our way of life. Those people, the Islamic terrorists, the extremists, they're in it for the long haul. And they're ready to endure and to fight to the last man in order to destroy us. And I wonder if our nation is so resolved as they. It's a scary thought when you think about it too much. But you know what they're counting on? What they're banking on? Is that we don't have the stomach to fight as long as they do. They're counting on the fact and believing that we won't last that long. But to defeat terror once and for all, it will take an enormous amount of endurance. In order to live successfully as children of God in this world, it takes endurance and it takes resolve. I ask you this morning, do you know the God and His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is calling upon us, calling upon us to endure? Have you experienced salvation with Him? Are simply trusting Him, committing your life to Him, giving it all over to Him? Do you know Christ as your personal Lord and Savior today? Are you finding your strength to endure in Him and in Him alone? Let's pray together.